0: tanshi folks welcome to episode seven of research time um just as we begin i'm just waiting for my co-presentee to join us within this meaningful conversation uh they will just request to be on the live with me but until then uh thank you very much for listening and i hope to enjoy this wonderful conversation with all of you merci
1: she how are you doing um well i'm living <laughs> how are you <laughs>
0: that's wonderful me too oh <laughs> <laughs> how has your day been what have you been up to
1: um anxiously preparing
0: for this <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's just a beautiful conversation between good friends. So I'm really I'm honestly so happy and very excited that you're joining me because I always love listening to you and you have such a beautiful way of putting perspectives in such a direct and eloquent way. So I'm very excited.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm like I'm just honored for like you inviting me here because I've always loved the way how insightful and profound uh, your 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 opinions were, and I knew that the very the very first day when I heard you speak up in class, I, I thought to myself, I want to be her friend. Now here we are, <laughs> <laughs> we're
0: best friends. We're doing research together. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, started
1: from the bottom, now we're here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh,
0: I love that. Thank you. That's- oh, that means so much to me. Oh, I'm like a little tearful right now. Like truly,
1: like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, you can cry. <laughs> Thank you. I just like. <laughs> Aw,
0: oh, wonderful. Well, you know what? Let's just get straight into it. Let's dive in deep and let's go forward. So, um, just because we are on different territories, it still is really important to, uh, you know, showcase and make, Acknowledgements to the lands that we are situated upon. Um, so, for, for me at least, um, I am situated on Treaty 7 territory, uh, which is of uh, the, the Mohkinsis, which is uh, the city of Calgary basically. And uh, Treaty 7 is the territory of the Sitapi, which is the Blackfoot people, the real people, um, which includes uh, Confederacy, which which is uh, considering Sixaga, Gainai, Bagani. Uh, Iahe Nakoda, which is Stoney Nakoda, and then Satina Nation. Um, this territory is also home to Métis Nation, Region 3, which is my region. Um, so I still have ties to this region along with Treaty 1 with the Métis um, uh, Federation there. And uh, with that in mind, like, we want to acknowledge how important these conversations are. Um, we also want to acknowledge how folks who are on this territory, Indigenous and non- who work, who live, who play, and it is a means to steward the land. So we need to honor, and we need to also celebrate uh, the shared history here, and we also need to acknowledge it, to move forward together. So it's beautiful, yeah. Yes.
1: Okay, Um, so I would like to begin by acknowledging that we are on traditional lands, referred to as Treaty 6 territory, and that the city of Saskatoon, where I am right now, and all the people here are beneficiaries of this peace and friendship treaty. So, Treaty 6 encompasses the ter- uh, traditional territories of numerous First Nations, including Cree, Dene, Nakoto, uh, Soto, and Ojibwe, and the homeland of the Metis Nation. So, we are dedicated to ensuring that the spirit of reconciliation and Treaty 6 is honored and respected, and this acknowledgement. Also reaffirms our relationship with one another. Ah,
0: <laughs> that's so beautiful. It's always <laughs> lovely hearing about the different treaties too, uh, within mm-hmm. like Canada in general, and it's it's lovely hearing all the nations and their perspectives being you know valued and honored too. So it's wonderful. Thank yes. you, Napsy. <laughs> ah, so of course Nien is with me today. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so happy. So I remember meeting you uh, within, I think it was Rebecca Lloyd's class. And we were Mm -hmm. inside that research and we were just, I remember sitting down with you and Dana uh, all together at the table and just got to know you that way. And I think it was the day where I brought McDonald's to the classroom. And Uh, (laughs) uh, our friendship just really ignited on that particular day. (laughs) I I just you did. I yes. hold that I hope I felt dear to my heart. <laughs> I loved listening to you. I always loved uh, hearing from you and I loved when you presented. It was just it was such a lovely class and it really paved the way for um, our new trajectory, which is to now do research, which is really cool. So now that's what I know from you but I would love you to introduce you to the world around us.
1: Yes, <laughs> okay, um, okay, so my name is Nia and Maya. So I am a grad student at the educa- uh, education faculty at the University of Ottawa. Um, so I am a master's of education student um, in second language teaching uh, with my research interests in the Canadian, the Canadian identity, Canadian citizen, citizenship. Basically, troubleizing what it means to be a Canadian, becoming a Canadian and just the process Um, of the Canadian so um, I hope that I'm very much I'm looking very much uh, to just sharing and learning from each other today.
0: (laughs) Me too I feel like you know I already have like an idea of what citizenship means but understanding what it means especially because this is like this is your specialty basically so I'm very excited to be a learner uh, from you even today and also with our, our mutual conversation so it's uh, it's gonna be a good one it's gonna be a good one as you can tell viewers we're talking about citizenship today so <laughs> it's very exciting um so the article that we are reviewing is by James A Banks uh, which was created in 2008 and uh, it's called diversity group identity and citizenship education in a global age. So this also alludes to, you know, uh, aw, yeah, <laughs> <Come on in. laughs> and this also alludes to, um, you know, even conversations that can happen through technology like you and I are holding right now too, but that's just what the article is called. And uh, Nian, would you like to share what, uh, what it's all about?
1: Yes. Yes, of course. So Banks is actually very well known for his research on multicultural citizenship education. though so he is an, an American scholar. And so this article is a good summation of the various citizenship education frameworks that have uh, defined Western systems. So he begins with the assimilationist, liberal, universal con uh, conceptions of citizenship. And he finally concludes with his own topology of how teachers and students uh, can work towards attaining a more critical and transformative citizenship.
0: (laughs) Couldn't have said it better myself. Like there was so much that happened with the article that it was, it is so interesting with the way that he actually structured the article in itself where it had specific uh, subheadings, of course, and to allude to what he was going to talk about next and following and following and following. So because of the way that he laid it out per concept to concept, it made it a little bit more easier for me to understand the different and various notions of yeah. citizenship because there's so much. And of course, like even through like teaching inside my own classroom, like it was so interesting because, like when I was able to talk about citizenship, uh, which was in a grade six context, we talked about voting and our civil rights to vote. So that was an interesting idea, which also relates to what Banks was also talking about too, in regards to voting and how it is a, a form of transformative citizenship because you're actively mm-hmm. participating, a part of that process, which allows it to really, um, allow you to connect with it, which is really beautiful. Uh, so at least, sorry, I, I know that this was like, a, uh, it's, it's just a part of the conversation too, but I'm also curious about what you also found very, very interesting from the article yourself.
1: Oh, boy. Well, like, continuing on that, like, Banks is, he writes so clearly, very plainly, that everything is very easy to understand. And like you said, it goes from section to section. Um, So this article was actually one of the very first articles that I read on citizenship literature as a grad student. And so it basically laid out that, plainly laid out how broken our current system is especially since it was born out of racialized tensions, like from the moment that Europeans landed and began interacting with, with the indigenous. So especially since we, we see these theme words as universal citizenship or uh, liberal conceptions, we think of it as more uh, modern or as if we're embracing our, our current globalized reality, when in fact it has even more so limited the concept of citizens and narrowed our viewpoints to the point where we equate the interest of the dominant group as facts or the norm, and but Banks also does very well in that he alludes to just how subtle it is. That that's why it's so difficult to understand these concepts at first, because especially here in Canada, um, that we tend to place any sort of acts of discrimination or racism in the past or as Marxism, except, mm. of um, exceptionalism, right? Mm-mm. Or it's oh, it's it's not us as Canadians, it's just that one guy, it's just that one lone wolf right? But when in in actuality, it's so deeply entrenched to the point of invisibility. Um, So for example, within workplaces, we have diversity and uh, multiculturalism policies, uh, which are invoked as corrective measures to increase social solidarity. But when in fact it's casted, but diversity is casted as a problem, when the focus on difference, is seen to pose a challenge to social cohesion, right? So he does very well in balancing plainly stated examples and also just allusions to these deeper entrenched uh, beliefs that we have.
0: (laughs) It's it's like, it's the notion of othering, I think, where it's as if that it's not happening to this day because it's already so entrenched with the past, where it's like, Oh, it's almost unattainable or oh that's not happening anymore because these are things that happened in the past but really everything that has occurred in the past is still so important to talk about to this day because it's still ongoing and it's still happening to this day exactly so another thing too that I really appreciated that he talked about as well was this notion of how um, how our, our um, ideas of policy, our ideas of laws needs to also be reformed because it exactly. is already inside that place of how when it was created it was already in such an oppressive form and because mm-hmm. of that creation we try to amend it and with amending it's not necessarily tackling the root issue it's just putting exactly. a bandage on it, which doesn't mm-hmm. help because that bandage is just going to fall off. So what really needs to happen is a true reformation, but in mm-hmm. a consulting way, in a collaborative way, in a partnership mm-hmm. manner, where all voices who need to be at the table can sit at that table. Exactly. And this is just such a profound notion because everyone needs to be considered if everyone really is a citizen, as as we're going to go more into it, a citizen of of Canada, even though there's various sovereign nations within Canada that are inside of Canada, which are indigenous peoples. So (laughs) all their considerations also need to be at the forefront of these conversations, of these ideas, of these policies, of these laws.
1: And (laughs) and that's
0: lovely. That's a life I would love to be a part of because I think that would just truly allow for such a synergistic, beautiful world. And I want that. I really want that. I think that's so
1: beautiful. I would love that as well. But, you know, I think we really have to work for it. Like, it might take a lifetime, unfortunately. But if it takes a lifetime, then so be it. You know, even if my if my children's children
0: could even live in a world like that, I'll be like, Yeah, your your great grandma was really a part of that, <laughs> the process. <laughs> to happen. So yeah, fingers crossed. I yeah. <laughs> it's a continuous practice and it's an everyday practice to you. so is our, our conversation about citizenship. So it's an ongoing again practice, it's an ongoing definition yeah. because it exactly. just so much with it. So I would also love, one day at a time, Ryan, you're right, you are right. <laughs> one day at a time. Love it. And and with this too, this, uh, this brings us to our next question here, which is talking about uh, what does citizenship education mean to you?
1: Oh, boy. So <laughs> citizenship education has always been such a conflicting topic to me because I've basically lived through it especially through my parents um, going through their own citizenship process and now myself as a student and as a teacher and now as a teacher researcher <laughs> so I, I recognize it as you know it's a great tool of the nation-state to bring the nation together to increase social cohesion to guide newcomers to feel included and to aid their integration but at the same time it has been used just as banks has revealed that, and it's still being used to assimilate minorities and forcing these groups to give up their cultures and their languages to um, attain inclusion, right? And so schools have always had a role in citizenship, citizenship education, right? So citizenship education is the process of becoming a citizen of Canada, someone who internalized national histories, uh, national uh, values, right, who have adopted a national identity, um, but because of that, citizenship and character education are often conflated. So, for example, they equate the good citizen with the good person. Mm. And so, it's there. Are, so there are two major frameworks uh, in Canada that lead citizenship education. So there is a K to twelve system that's under the mandate of the provincial governments, and then there's also the adult education program, Link. Uh, language instruction um, uh, for newcomers to Canada. Um, So that's under the federal government jurisdiction. And both frameworks assume a deficiency in the learners' knowledge. Um, We are somehow... I think the K-12 system is doing better than the adult education system in leading towards a more liberal social justice. Um, But again, we're still not there yet. Um, And also, before that, we alluded to as well, like becoming a Canadian citizen is ultimately different from becoming a Canadian or adopting a Canadian identity, right? So, the latter is more of a social cultural process of being. So, both from within the individual and also for the in group members of this identity group to recognize the newcomer as part of their community. So, this is a bilateral process. This as well can be seen and learned in schools. Um, But but what we're seeing these days is that many students now have multiple national commitments or Mm -hmm. they live in more than one nation, right? So again, just like what Banks has pointed out, one can be a citizen of Canada, but they may not see themselves as Canadian. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) it's a difficult process
0: because it is so personal uh-huh. and there's so much with it as well and yeah. that is what makes it so multi-layered like there's so mm-hmm. much in it. it's it needs to to my want and to my i guess advocacy for inclusionary practices within education at least mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. or anti-racist notions within education also Is the reflective practice of self. I think so important, especially for educators, to also do for themselves is to go on that personal journey. What does it mean to be a citizen within Canada? What does it mean to be a citizen within my own nation? And what are the legacies that have lasted before me and what will be here after me? Even this is my moment to live right now what will my impact then be moving forward as well so mm-hmm. with this in mind too like this is also conceptualizing the lived experiences that are ongoing to this day of mm-hmm. policies and laws and all of this too also bears the intentionality of understanding how these practices work and not every actually has the accessibility to understand mm-hmm. how all yeah, these really. processes work. So that's mm-hmm. another factor of actually understanding you know citizenship education and ensuring that teachers are doing their due diligence to also explain these processes to students, but in ways yeah. where it makes sense and not just regurgitation of information like we, exactly. we also want that we want we want them to go through the process of actually living it, experiencing it, And honestly, there's some kids out there who have also lived these experiences themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. There's an organization called uh, the Caring Society, which is rooted in Ottawa, and it's uh, it's led by a phenomenal woman, indigenous woman named uh, Dr. Cindy Blackstock, and she is phenomenal. Uh, But what she really does ensure for youth is that they actually practice their rights and values as children, as youth, as they they do have rights uh, according to the UN declaration. So with this in mind, how do then we give indigenous youth the voice, the power, the ability to then advocate for the rights per, per nation or per reserve that they are living within? So there's a lot of their campaigns do centralize on this idea, which then also connects to educators, too, because they also want educators to also practice this within their classroom, even through conversations and through the actual enactment of supporting legislation that actually does pass based off of their needs and their wants and their values. So it's attainable. It is possible. Like, this is pedagogy that is lived and that can be done with guidance and with support with collaboration because it can't just be a one-off either like it can't just be like exactly. oh yeah we check box like no like it has to be something that is ongoing because it is truly an ongoing process of citizenship it is an ongoing process of living of experience exactly. so it's like how can we how can we shut that off and just say oh i just i just taught a unit on citizenship done like like as much as i can appreciate that but it's more than that. And it's every single day of some students and every every single individual's life is citizenship.
1: Exactly. Oh, beautifully said. <laughs> oh, oh, the process of just reflection, just even just listening to yourself and also listening to others, making sure that you're truly listening to what others say is just the world would be be so, we'll be a, such a better place if people just did that. But again, here we are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, hey, looking <laughs> And it's already <laughs> a place. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, I completely agree, and it's, it's an ongoing conversation, and at yeah. least it's starting. At least it's you know, at least it's being uh shared within these places, these spaces. Mm-hmm. And that's really good, and that is a positive foot in the right direction. So, yes, I'm good yes. at least about that. Yes, one day at a time, Ryan. Ryan called it one day at a time. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> love it. So, there's another question that I also have for you too here. Um, how can educators be more inclusive when discussing/slash
1: teaching citizenship within the classroom? Definitely. Again, like just continuing, like just picking backing off. Your, what you said before, definitely we should begin by first asking ourselves, who is in our classrooms and who are not in our classrooms? What does me being here take away or add to the classroom? So when I'm asking me, I'm asking not necessarily myself as a teacher, but also as a citizen or as an identity group member. And oftentimes it's easier to point out our own disadvantages. Um, than to recognize our own privileges, right? Um, we're both women, uh, we're both members of minority groups, um, but we're also university educated, right? We're both grad students. And so how do our lived experiences influence the way we teach and learn and navigate our relationships uh, with our students? So I think there was this really good thing um, that Banker me was the fact that often feminist scholars and scholars of color um, have been the leading constructors of transformative academic knowledge. And definitely it's so much more easier to cite white Western male scholars because they're in every field, they're in every language. Um, there are entire Spark note, uh, sections dedicated into understanding Foucault or Bordeaux. Um, but by doing so, is along the same bodies, the same voices, the same unchecked power of ovations to continue to occupy occupy these spaces so perhaps as educators and research researchers and teacher researchers we should be finding other voices to uplift hmm. right and so it's you know it's it's very it's very easy you, you can open up any textbook and you have oh you have oh this white male western scholar it's so easy right. to like cite them but I think it's so much more It's just so much more inclusive if we add in other scholars that may not necessarily have the same hype, you know, as you know, famous scholars do. Like, there's this
0: one book that I love reading. It makes me cry every time, but it's called Indian Indian Horse by uh, Richard Wagamese, and he's also Mm -hmm. indigenous. So, he, uh, it's it's such a novel rooted in the. Uh, systemic racism of what was Indian uh, or uh, indigenous like residential schools so it was a very wonderful novel to read but because of the language that is used within it where it can also mm-hmm. be very transferable and easy for other students to also access and understand and empathize with and I think mm-hmm. that's also what is key with this conversation too is the notion of empathy so when you're talking about like educators and how they can be inclusive within their own classroom they also themselves need to enact that notion of empathy and look for other voices as you mentioned too because i'm also an advocate for that too is ensuring that uh, classrooms are filled with appropriate uh, representation within the classroom so that also means looking at other books other uh lessons other you know forms of you know education Uh, to include within the classroom because when we also see, um, you know, within the textbooks that is taught to students, and I've also taught it, um, there is something that I also came up to. So, one, so, sorry, I I don't mean to backtrack, but I do mean to backtrack. Um, (laughs) Presentation. Very important within um, classrooms and within facilitation, yeah. and also within ed- education in general, there. But then, what also needs to occur to you, and I think for an inclusive classroom, is to acknowledge textbooks as textbooks. Yes. And the reason why. Is because yes, this is what is outlined within curriculum. Yes, this is what is outlined within units. But I'm so sorry, Murphy's just visiting my dog. Oh, sorry. I'll just show you my dog. Quick. here you go. There's Murphy. Oh, hi, Murphy. <laughs> Cute. The um, visit. So within that conversation, we also see whose perspective textbooks are also written within and we can see by who are the editors and who are the authors of it, which are prevalently white people. So (laughs) with that positionality in itself, it's not even positioned within a colonial settler way. It's not even acknowledging that actually, which can be found to be problematic, but it's also not sharing stories from various people of color Black people, indigenous people, like it's not even representing that at all within the textbooks. And that is yeah. why there's so much of a call to action right now in regards to anti racist pedagogy, in regards to, uh, you know, uh, indigenous voices inclusion within books, within these textbooks. Um, so that's what's also key here too is for teachers to also acknowledge that as well because they might not actually make that connection that yeah. wow like this is the content I'm supposed to be teaching it's obviously supposed to be concerning the uh, curriculum outcomes I am supposed to be teaching so of course I'm going to assume this is what this is what I'm up with so then this is what I'm going to then teach but what is lacking is the critical process then which is what we also teach to, to our students too is the critical thinking so as teachers we're also forgetting that we're also forgetting to also enact that too is who is who is this book by how does it relate to me? How does it relate to my students? And who is being talked about and who is being positioned? So these are notions that also need to be like included within the uh, the conversations about citizenship, but then also inclusivity within the classroom because in order to be inclusive, you really got to bring in all the voices and all the perspectives and be reflective and be reflective because this is not meaning to say that this is a bad practice, that every teacher out there is a bad teacher. No, like that's, that's not what this is talking about. This is instead being a means to reflect and being a wonderful, beautiful opportunity for reflection instead and to yeah. see what you can potentially yeah. do with them new coming academic year, even to sit on it and to think about it. Like, how do I want Mm -hmm. to really be inclusive within my pedagogy? And I think it's absolutely possible
1: for all educators to to do that. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, goodness. Like, we just have to remember that our curriculum books are just another story. It's another lived experience, but it's the only lived experience. It's the only story that's being legit, like that is being told as legitimate. As opposed to every other story that uh, maybe uh, by POC, our students or teachers might be uh, might be telling as well, but because they're just seen as you know special add-ins, it's not it's not they don't have let's say a proper ownership of the Canadian citizen or the Canadian identity. Right? So. Uh. I agree.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I agree. So yeah, I love this conversation. You're so insightful. Um, Which then leads me to my next question here, which is the article alludes to educators needing to discuss cultural rights and group rights within their pedagogy. Um, What would be useful ways for educators to do this in terms of equity? So equity is supporting the students where they're at based off of where they're just groundedly at in general. Where yes. equality is assuming that every single individual is of an equal space, equal privilege, when that's certainly mm. not the case within the classroom. So that's why equity mm-hmm. is actually very important here. Sorry, I just needed to ensure that that is articulated for, for yes. our listeners and for our viewers. Thank just to you. There's a major... So that's why uh, the question is then, what would be useful ways for educators to do this, especially in terms of equity?
1: Mm. So... An education of equity, I I guess, would be teaching students not only how to read and write and compute, but also learning them how to question the assumptions and the hegemonic characteristics in order for students to become reflective um, and active citizens or transformative citizens, as, as Banks would say. And so I suppose how this will look like in the classroom is, focusing more on the sort of perspectives and stories that have not been heard before, often that might be unbalanced. So, for example, if we're teaching Canadian history, rather than focusing on Jacques Cartier, or, um, the Rebels, Samuel- or even, you know, <laughs> right? I just want to say. Yeah, exactly, like, focus on, yeah, focus on instead, you know, treaty education, or even how um, uh, African Canadians and Chinese Chinese Canadians have, have helped uh, build the Canadian nation, right? And so there are so many different perspectives that we can focus on over, you know, the tried and true grand narrative, the grand Canadian narrative. <laughs> yeah,
0: like it's it's uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's just a lot. Sorry, I had to sit with that for a moment. Oh no no. <laughs> it's, Thank it's, you. You're right. No, it's, it's a great. lot. <laughs> It's good, it's good, and it's, it's just the understanding that cultural rights and group rights, too, have a play within the classroom, too, because yes, all yes. students, even teachers, too, everyone has an association to a cultural right or a group right. Uh, yes. For example, like, teachers are also confined by their own contracts, uh, with their you with their unions, of course. So that in itself is a group right, if you want to put it in yeah. that term. Um uh, mm-hmm. then there's also the notions of cultural rights too, where um, you know some educators out there, like uh, me being one, for example, I'm Métis. So guess what kinds of educational aspects will I be including within my classroom? Well, I will make associations to my heritage, but as a means for teaching, like. It's mm-hmm. really important for that to come into play because it's another perspective to be listened to or to be. Received. So that's interesting because I also have to navigate that in a way, because I still want to abide by, I guess, my contract and what is you know given mm-hmm. through my contract ethically. But i still want to ensure that my students are understanding of the world view and how the world is also seen within their classroom and how there's so many different perspectives and so many beautiful voices that should be listened to as well and who is then being heard and who is then being seen who's then being taught so i remember this one time where i was teaching about and talking about you know my my metis heritage and such and then i i only shared like very basic things like um, originally from like the Red River Settlement and uh, there's a Métis nation here in Alberta and I'm associated with that and it's really wonderful, it's filled with beautiful people who are really wanting to support indigenous voices and who really care about their community and there's delicious bannock we eat, there's a lot of stews we eat like it's just coming together for, for that uh, culturalness. so it's really, it's really beautiful to see that, that this is happening here and then one of my students actually told me that they were Métis as well and that they never would have shared that if I didn't share who I am either so yeah that student could at least make a um, you know of course a, a relationship uh, with me and felt comfortable to then talk with me thereafter so it's really important to still share your personal perspectives within the classroom because you have no idea what could potentially happen if not like you, i might have missed out on that cool uh relationship with that one student talking about our maintenance so that was really wonderfully pedagogical and then also a very professional means to also talk about cultures so it was really yeah. it was a really beautiful experience because i really did appreciate yeah. that um but yeah i think i think it always has something to play with in the classroom i think it always has something to do with our conversations our um teaching mechanisms, and how important that actually is in, in these ways. So, yeah.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, right? It's it's ultimately up to the teacher of what discourses they allow in the classroom, which also transfers into what identities are allowed or disallowed. Um, so if, you know, if you never had shared your Métis heritage, then maybe that student would have never felt completely part of the classroom, for example, right? So. That was such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing.
0: (laughs) Happy to share. Like, I know that I had, like, a little, uh, just a minor um, uh, experience with it. And I think that's what also led me to my master's right now, too, is because I want more of those conversations to also be held for teachers within their own practice. So it's just... uh, Really intentional. It's really it's important. (laughs) So thank you you for listening to. And uh, we have a couple more questions here. Oh, let's see. Um, yes, and and also this one. This one's interesting too because the reason why that this question was specifically brought up to is because you and I have had the previous conversation about the use of technology, but the use of like social yeah. media specifically within the classroom. And I know that we both have various uh, perspectives with it, which is really good to yeah. talk about. I really like mm-hmm. how uh, we have these views on it. And uh, so, there, so that's the preemptiveness to it, folks. Um, but due to our discussions about the use of technology, what connections can we make between the use of social media to further discussions on citizenship?
1: Hmm, okay and so I think part of being a transformative citizen especially for students is for for, for the students to be involved in a process of knowledge construction and production which I think they can very much do with social media because our classrooms are not only becoming multicultural, multilingual, multisexual, multi-religion but they're also transnational so just as researchers are able to collaborate with someone across the globe. Our students are able to use social media and the internet and technology to, to interact with someone in a similar fashion from different cultures, uh, languages, etc. So students develop online virtual identities and personas that are cosmopolitan in nature, right? And so what social media has done for our students is the ability are not becoming only content consumers uh, and users, but also content creators, content producers, right? And we can bring that into the classroom. So sure, our our world is getting smaller, but our classrooms are are becoming larger uh, because we have to face the reality that teachers in schools are no longer the singular source of education anymore.
0: (laughs) And that's just it. Like, there's various ways where uh, students can then receive their knowledge. And social media is a, is a new way. Like, it's loud. It's proud. It's here. It's here to stay. Right. And I know so good or bad. That, Yeah, TikTok, it, you know, like, whoa, like, you know, <laughs> it's It's
1: <good. laughs> Oh,
0: boy. <laughs> it's definitely here. So it's that. Uh, it's definitely a um, but it's, it's something that's actually not um, considered necessarily within some classroom framework, which actually yeah. is included within classroom framework. So then how do we then set the standard of how to then include that within our conversations, within our content, uh, within our lessons and then also as assignments? Because I know that some teachers have felt comfortable to then ask their students to then use this as a means to produce. Their assignments as well. So there's a lot of factors within it too. And I think one of my considerations, I guess, it's mm-hmm. it's not necessarily mm-hmm. that I'm against the use of social media in the classroom because I know that there's so much that can be um, systemically supported, changed, advocated for through the use yes. of that. It. So mm-hmm. it's it's just the safety. I just have a really yes. major consideration for safety because I know that there's a lot of younger users, and you yes. know. It, there's a lot of um, security issues, uh, especially totally, yeah. the on the internet. There's just there's just a lot uh, to consider mm-hmm. in that way. So how do we just ensure our our children are just safe in that way? So yeah. that's always yeah. been a consideration of mine. But it's uh, it's definitely um, not taking away the political. Um, Beauty that can be created from social media and as long as they're doing it safely as long as they are ensuring that um, They do not speak to strangers um, And if they do they are telling their parents right away um, or guardians whoever is uh, looking after them uh, that they that that is always occurring too. because Those conversations are really important to even hold with your teachers with with an adult Someone who's at least knowing that you're on it so they can also watch out for your safety as
1: well. So, yeah, yeah, yes, right. And the thing is, a lot of our curriculums are not reflecting this reality, right? So, like back back when I was young, we we had Stranger Stranger Danger sort of awareness courses, but now we need virtual Stranger Danger sort of classes. And is that being you know is that being taught within schools? So
0: right. <laughs> oh, exactly. And who's who's uh. Who's also going to be leading these workshops too? Because it's such a new idea to also introduce, yeah. so that's really key as well. So I certainly hope that like folks who are researchers, who are you know, if if you are listening to this, I hope that you are uh, taking the time <laughs> to really consider um, various perspectives along with you facilitating this form of uh, guidance for educators. So it's yeah. it's a lot to think about. It's a lot. It's a lot to think about. So it's it's good though. Yeah. I think it's needed still nonetheless, I really do, because it, it's a new pathway for students to really um, engage their political voice and their political mind or mm-hmm. their, their adversarial yeah. mind, and it's really cool to see how they can enact it in their own way.
1: Yes, speaking of social media, Black Lives Matter.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: Five, Five. Black Lives Matter.
0: Don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, to hold whole two, um, and with this uh, conversation too, um, I want to almost have this last because I feel like it's such an important topic that it's okay for us to spend a lot of time on it, but I did notice that we have a good friend, Kumanen who also asked us a question. Um, so then Kumanen asked, how do we as educators help shift the curriculum from Eurocentric narrative to a narrative that includes indigenous, Asian Canadians, African Canadians, etc.
1: Hmm. Come on, on that's a loaded question. <laughs> that's such <just> a long <laughs> question, but such a good one. <laughs> yes. Phenomenal question. So,
0: how do we as educators help shift the curriculum from Eurocentric narrative to a narrative to include? Indigenous, Asian-Canadians, African-Canadians, etc. I think it's also what we talked about too, come on in. Is the, is the conversation of storytelling, is the conversations in general of listening to various perspectives within the classroom. So then that also alludes to, to the creation of textbooks themselves. Um, and I think that's a key way for educators to also manage that shift of curriculum is to really re-look at curriculum documents and what's created and potential revisions that can be made. Even though I know that that is alluding to the Ministry of Education and how that's, you know, that's those are the folks who actually uh, change that policy, change that curriculum, change those notions. Um, but instead, in that way, I think that educators still have the uh, responsibility to also include the various notions and the various perspectives that are in their class themselves as well, but also outwardly to them to do yeah. that, that notion of citizenship, like who, who was a part of our conversations, you know? So I think I think that's my answer to that. So I think educators, if they are really shifting the curriculum from, um, from that Eurocentric, it needs to include stories and it needs to include yes. appropriate storytelling too um, where it's not just generalizing or stereotyping. It is actually including voices that are really meaningful and detrimental to the conversations, which can be found with novels, which can be found within um, your peers, your colleagues, your you know family. Who knows? Like, who knows the resources and the folks you can talk to? And um, I think, yeah, the world's the limit
1: for, for educators to really think about that. Oh, um, and, and to build on that, I like totally like we need to validate um, the lived experiences of, of our teachers and our students and also being, being cautious of not just adding topics just for diversity sake. Right. Um, because if we're just including everything into the mainstream curriculum, then we're just already shoving things into an already broken system. Like we need to be questioning why were they excluded in the first place? Why are these marginalized groups considered marginalized groups, right? And so we have to like help our well, like our, ourselves as well, to be more reflective about our students as well, to to question these um, these normative systems of thinking, right? And how we how we got here and how to prevent us from reverting back to that system. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, and that's that's also what like Banks talks about too, right? It is that yeah, yeah. Of really looking into the system itself and really being critical of the system uh, for that system to then change because you just can't put a bandaid on it. Like it has yeah. it has to go through that reformation, uh, which is supposed to actually consider mm-hmm. all the voices, all the perspectives initially right off the bat. So, I yeah. think that's the way in which uh, we can go about it. Thank you, come on in for that question. I thank, think you. <laughs> thank you for being so engaged. Awesome. And now we can we can go through our last question here. Um, <laughs> how can we enact these teachings, uh, these considerations from the article uh, within our lives, families and learning communities, um, especially for those happening in regards to Black Lives Matter and also uh, the considerations of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to Action.
1: Okay, so as we have uh, said before, education is so powerful. It can uplift an entire generation, but it can also crush the next. And so, you know what? I agree with you, like advocacy and sharing information are great, great ways to enact these teachings but also POC solidarity, right? Understanding that even if I am a member of a marginalized group myself, in certain, section, in certain situations, I might just need to shut up, right? And listen and truly listen to others who need the platform more and to uplift their voices, right? Their stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, banks have said that, quote, marginalized groups have organized and worked for their group rights throughout US history Bringing greater equality and social justice for all Americans. Furthermore, groups in the margins of U.S. society have been conscious, ha, have been the conscious of America and the main sites of struggles to close the gap between American uh, democratic ideals and institutionalized racism and discrimination. Marginalized groups have helped the nation come closer to actualizing the democratic ideals, uh, ideals, end quote, right? And I think that's just, it's just amazing. Just, I just love that quote and it's just very encompassing of, of the conversation that we have today, right? And that completely describes um, the Black Lives Matter and then the journey to reconciliation, right? Because what is basically rooted on is the inflexibility of citizenship. Hmm. Um, because, um, you know, our current citizenship frameworks is a major factor why we have uh, racial, ethnic, and cultural conflicts, right? Um, and by having Black Lives Matter and TRC, right, these movements are very much in line to combat liberal assimilationist universal conceptions of citizenship. Wow. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's wow.
0: Full, full circle. Yes, <laughs> it really is. It really is. And considering just the uh, how much of an active process it is, yes. yes, it's just continuous. It's like it's on my mind every single day. Like, what did I do today to better ensure that I am being a good ally to my to to the movement of Black Lives Matter, and also yeah. with my Indigenous solidarity? Like, what what am I doing to ensure that? Voices are being shared and perspectives are being um, acknowledged and and really listened to, really listened to, too. Yeah. So it's it's really impactful to know that every single day we make the active choice as well mm-hmm. to make our decisions and to go about our, our lives. But it's really important to do so in a very conscientious way, in a very conscious yeah. way that we actually acknowledge the impact because the impact is major especially with what is going on every single day so we all we all have a role to play we all have a piece of the puzzle and all we got to do is just put it all together and it's such a Wonderful experience to know that not one of us is alone within this journey because we're all going to make mistakes. We are all going to go through that point of reflection to revise these really systemic notions yes. of what's going, and it's okay that this is happening as well because mm-hmm. at least we're all considering it. We're all thinking about it, and it's. Yeah. And if you're not, then you know what? Today is a beautiful day to start, and that's okay. So it's Mm -hmm. it's just a continuous process thereafter, and it's a good process if your mind is open, if you're welcome Mm -hmm. to new knowledge, if you're willing to learn, and then how can you then define yourself as a citizen? And then what that then looks like within the process too, and what your roles and what your responsibilities
1: are in that way. Yes.
0: What a beautiful conversation <laughs> i always love talking with this too um we would love to ask anyone if anyone else has uh, any insightful beautiful questions like come on and ask which thank you again very much for that <laughs> we'll back to, i understand consensual of course we're not forcing you to do anything either so. <laughs>
1: i suppose while we're waiting how's the weather over in alberta it's (laughs) over 30 degrees over here
0: (laughs) same same i think it's like 28 degrees but with humidity it's been around 30. it's it's beautiful though like it's been so rainy and so stormy here like we've had a lot of like tornado warnings so
1: it's tornado back in alberta Sorry, have you ever seen like tornadoes in, Al-
0: in Alberta? I've seen a uh, funnel cloud just once, but yeah, <laughs> they, they hopping around so like minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> It was oh, really pretty because like the sky turns like a turquoise, so mm. that's how you like kind of know something's off and something's fishy. But it's a really beautiful color. So that's when you're like, mm, it's too pretty. I should go inside someday. <laughs> <laughs> <Back here.
1: laughs> uh, just like here, it's too it's too hot. So I'm just gonna go back inside for AC. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: even got the net, weather network in check. Yes, <laughs> yes, Ryan. <laughs> beautiful okay well I guess there's no question so Nian I just want to say thank you again so much mousey for joining me today with this conversation um I always love listening to you I think your wisdom and your journey is just so beautiful to see and I'm so happy that we also get to continue this journey together too up until December so it's It's a a long, beautiful road, and I'm so happy to have someone like you uh, a part of it as well. So just thank you. Merci.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Madeline. And again, thank you for inviting me to your uh, current podcast session. It means a lot to me, uh, especially to have this conversation with you and to share it with everyone else. Thank you, like truly, just thank you. And it's uh, I'm excited to see what
0: you're gonna make up inside your research. In regards, just it's it's gonna
1: be great. Maybe we can talk about your article one day. Uh, I recently received some uh, an article review back from uh, Carol and Nick and his team, and I have not yet read the uh, comments. I need at least a week <laughs> to just <laughs> prepare myself mentally. <laughs> yep.
0: Yep. I feel that, I feel that sometimes <laughs> uh, it's interesting to receive feedback, especially when the work you do is just so um, impactful to yourself. So yeah, I understand that. Well let me know how it goes when, when, when you decide to look at it, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Awesome. Again, thank you so much and we will chat soon.